Please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. Jesus has now finished his last discourse with his disciples in this upper room in Jerusalem. He has given them instructions and warnings regarding the things that are to take place for them. And now he will begin a prayer to the Father. And in verse 1 of John chapter 17, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. So, Jesus says here that the hour has come. What does he mean by this? Well, let's go back and look at, look at some scriptures that we studied in past weeks um, where Jesus spoke about this topic of his hour. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and let's start reading in verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, now keep that in mind. Jesus says here, my hour has not yet come. Now turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And let's start reading down in verse 25. John chapter 7, verse 25. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one can know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out, as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Okay? So there's another reference to Jesus, uh, to the hour of Jesus. Now, Turn um, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and uh, let's start reading in verse 19. It says, Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have not, or excuse me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Now, we're going to look at a couple more uh, sections of Scripture here. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and let's um, start reading in verse 25. John 12, 25. 
He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So there again, you see another reference to Jesus's hour. Um, Let's look at chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse, starting in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So time and time again, Jesus kept talking about his hour. And all along, his disciples really were clueless as to what he was talking about. They never really had a full understanding of why Jesus had come to the earth. After all, they knew that in the flesh, Jesus had grown up in Nazareth. Remember when uh, Nathanael heard of Jesus and he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So just like you and me, the disciples had to learn and grow in their knowledge of who Jesus really was. There were times that they believed that he had come to be some sort of a political king. James and John asked Jesus if, uh, if he wanted them to, to command fire to come down from heaven and consume those that oppose him, them. You know, but this wasn't why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to set up some political kingdom. He didn't come to be us against them. It tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the reason Jesus came. It says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But in order to do so, he had to face his hour. And his hour was, that was his time to go to the cross. And the result of Jesus dying on the cross will be what? That the Father will be glorified and the Son will, be, will glorify the Father as it says there in verse 1, back in John chapter 17. The Father will glorify the Son, and the Son will glorify the Father. You see, to the world, the cross is a symbol of humiliation. But it is an instrument of glorification in God's eyes. You know, In the area where I live, uh, about every couple miles or so, there are church steeples. I mean, they're everywhere. Every couple miles, you run into a church steeple. But each one of these steeples is minus a cross. It doesn't have a cross on it. And the reason for this is that that particular church says that the cross is a symbol of the dying Christ, and they'd rather be focused on the living Christ. Well, now that's not a bad thing, but Biblically speaking, the cross, the cross is something that we must always remember. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to show you what I'm talking about here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians is to the right of where we are now in the Gospel of John. It's just after the book of Romans. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, let's look down at verse 23. Let's start reading there, verse 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So you see, the Lord wants us remembering his death. The cross of Christ is of utmost importance. It represents freedom because upon it, Jesus took away the sin of the world. You see, we don't wear crosses and display crosses for the purpose of being focused on death. We display the cross for the purpose of remembering that the blood of Jesus has washed away our sin and made us clean in the sight of God. Now, I'm going to have you look at a bunch of scriptures here for the next few minutes or so, but it's important that we understand the cross. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 10. And uh, let's read verse 38. So Matthew 10, 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The words there in your Bible should be in red, and that's Jesus speaking there. And he says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see, for you and me, there is a place we must come to in our hearts where we die to ourselves and decide to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This, too, is represented by the cross. In the spiritual sense, new life begins after death. Just as Jesus rose again, we too receive new life when we die to our old selves. That's something that takes place within our heart, and it's represented by the cross of Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. So right here, the same book that we're currently in, turn to chapter 16. And uh, let's start reading in verse 24. So Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. So there again, you see it, right? A dying to yourself. For whoever, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So here again, the cross is of utmost importance. It was for Jesus, it was to us, and it is to us today. We must lose our lives in order to find abundant life in Jesus Christ. You can look at it as you're letting go of the reins. God's not your co-pilot. He is just your everything. And that begins when we decide to deny ourselves and take up what? The cross. Okay? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Right after the book of Romans, you'll find 1 Corinthians. We were there just a little bit ago. Paul is speaking here about his calling in Christ. And looking down at verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So some say the message of the cross is foolishness. It speaks of death. We don't use it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And it should be treated as precious to us. And the reason that it is the power of God is because it was God's way to bring salvation to mankind and redeem us from the curse of sin and death. Look at verse 19 here. It says, It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And what is that message that was preached? People are saved through the message that is preached. And what is the message? Verse 22, for the Jews request the sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So here again, we see the power of the cross. We preach Christ crucified, it says in verse 23. The cross glorifies the Son and it glorifies the Father because when Jesus was lifted up upon that cross, he gave 
all men and all women forevermore the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God. Let's just look at one more passage of Scripture regarding the uh, the cross. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians is to the right of where we are now, just after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 6. And let's start reading in verse 14. It says, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So you see, it's not religious duties. It's not religious do's and religious don'ts. They mean absolutely nothing. The only thing that matters is that you become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And the cross is that is something that we should boast in because by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the world has been crucified to us and we to the world. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 17. And um, let's go back and start reading in verse 1 again. So John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Okay, let's uh, break verse 2 down here. It says here in verse 2 that the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh. So you see, the influence of Jesus extends to all people that ever were presently are, and ever will be on the face of this earth. He's been given authority over all flesh. Jesus did not come for just a select group of people. You are all probably very familiar with John 3.16 that states, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, okay, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Anyone and everyone can come to Jesus and be saved. Jesus has authority over all flesh. Why? That he should give eternal life to as many people as the Father gives him. But what does this mean that the Father gives to Jesus those that will receive eternal life. Let's turn back to John chapter 6. Always remember to let the Bible interpret itself. Otherwise, you can come up with a lot of crazy, just 
out-of-line doctrine. And that's what has taken place in many parts of the world. It's taken place under the sun everywhere. People pull scriptures out of the Bible and they make it say what they want it to say. I really encourage you to, to study the Bible for yourself, as I have encouraged you in the past, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to know him personally, and to allow him to teach you his word through his word. Okay, so John chapter 6, and let's start reading in verse 43. And I'm going to go back and just pose the question again. What does it mean that the Father gives to Jesus those that will receive eternal life? John chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, so as we put it all together, Jesus has authority over all flesh to bring them to eternal life. Whosoever will, whoever will come and believe can receive salvation, receive eternal life. Okay? And it is God the Father that draws them to Jesus because verses, uh, verse 45 here states that all will be taught by who? By God. And everyone that hears and learns from God comes to Jesus. Now, so there's, there's kind of a, a choice in there. You got to hear and you got to learn. But how do people today hear and learn about God? How did I come to learn about God? How do you come to learn about God? We hear and we learn about God as we read and we study the Word of God, our Bibles. As you've heard me quote umpteen times, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So as we hear and we learn from God by the power of God's word working within us, we are then drawn to Jesus. And this all equates back to what we're studying in John chapter 17, verse 2, that Jesus gives eternal life to all that the Father gives him. It really is that simplistic. God the Father, through his word, draws people to Jesus Christ. But you have to dig into the word of God. And you have to be willing to to uh, study the Word of God, to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Otherwise, you come up, like I said, with just all kinds of crazy doctrines. And there's huge religions out there and, and big churches that are teaching all this different kind of doctrine. But we've got to let the Word of God interpret itself. Someday... We'll study all of that, what we're talking about here, a little bit more in depth, okay? But let's just stick with our study today of, of John chapter 17. So go ahead and turn back there, John chapter 17. 
Jesus continues on in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, keep in mind here that this is a prayer that Jesus is praying, but in this prayer you and I can learn so much. It says here that eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ. But remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. This may be something that is hard for you to comprehend, but there are a couple of verses that speak pretty plainly on the topic of God and Jesus being one. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to the right of the Gospel of John, just after the book of 1 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the glory, or excuse me, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, first of all, you see what takes place there? Is people don't come to believe in Jesus because the God of this age, that see that small letter G on the word God there? It's this is Satan. He's blinding their eyes, blinding their eyes from the gospel so that it says, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So right there, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the image of God. And that word image there is the Greek word icon. And it's where we get our English word icon from. And it, it means one in whom the likeness of anyone is seen. Now, keep that in mind and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And uh, let's start reading in verse 5. So John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Okay. 
So now we see a couple of things in those verses there. Jesus says to the disciples that when they see him, they are seeing the Father. And that is because Jesus is the very image of God. You remember John chapter 1. Now I know I quote this a lot as well, but it's just very, very important verses. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Then down in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God the Father, who is the word that spoke everything into being, became flesh, and God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. But we also see here in verse 10, that the words that Jesus speaks are the words of the Father who gives him authority. So God wanted to come to earth and redeem mankind to be back in good standing with him, and he needed to come in a way that he could pay the price for our sins, which we know from Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. And God, who is a spirit, became flesh like you and me and walked upon the earth. And he uh, created mankind who also crucified Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But you know, through his death, through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he offered eternal life to all that hear and learn his word by God's Spirit drawing them. God's Spirit draws men and women to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he desires that everyone will come to Jesus. He desires that not one will perish, but there is an enemy in this world, the God of this age, that is out there blinding the eyes of people. They don't, he doesn't want them to hear the gospel. He's okay if they hear about religion, if they hear about church, because all that kind of stuff fails. How many people in, in high positions in religion do we hear about falling and failing and giving in to, to greed and, and lust and all of this stuff? So Satan's fine if people go to religion. He just don't want them to come to know Jesus. You see, it's plainly spelled out in the pages of Scripture, the truth about Jesus. But like I said earlier, we've got to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We need to be workers that do not need to be ashamed. Why? Because we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Look that verse up on your own when you get a chance, 2 Timothy 2.15. But God wants us to know him. But in order to know him, we must study his word. And again, Jesus is the word of God, the image of God. And the only way for you and me to be able to see God is by knowing Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through him. We're going to touch a little bit more on that in our next study. But for now, let's go ahead and 
turn back to uh, John chapter 17. Jesus made God known on this earth. And in verse 4, he continues his prayer to the Father. And he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, at this point in the story, we know that there is more for Jesus to do. He's still going to go to the cross. But for now, he has finished the work of making God known to the people of the earth. He has glorified the Father on this earth by all the works that he has done. And in a few weeks, uh, we'll get to John chapter 21, and we'll see that John said that there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That is extremely powerful and amazing to think about. But Jesus glorified God while here on this earth. And today I encourage you again to learn and grow in your knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. By studying your Bible and seeking Him with everything that is within you. Search after God with reckless abandon and you will be blessed and fruitful in your knowledge of Him. We've covered a lot here today, so we're going to go ahead and stop for now. But on our next study, we're going to kind of go back and talk a little bit more about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into that in the next study. But God bless. Thanks for listening. And once again, if you have any questions, we love hearing from you. Info at aloveoutreach.com is the email address to contact us at info at aloveoutreach.com, which is also our website, aloveoutreach.com. Uh, as you may, may not know, I don't know where you're listening to us at, um, but we're available on a podcast at the iTunes store as well. Everything's free um, there. And uh, love hearing from you. God bless. We'll see you next time.